Please stand with me for the reading of the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 16. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. You may be seated. In this sermon series, we've been talking about what the church is, what we as a community are. And we've been using the physical aspects of the space that we meet in as metaphors, the glass, the book, the children, our own bodies. Maikon began this part of the series talking about the doors of the church as a point of welcome and hospitality. To wrap it up, I'm also going to talk about doors, locked doors, and what the church does with them. To begin, I'd like to read a story from 2 Kings chapter 2, or it's chapter 7, sorry. It's a story about the miraculous rescue of the city of Samaria, which was under siege by the king of Syria. Now, it's important to understand something about how a siege works. Most pre-modern cities, if they had any strategic importance, relied on great walls for their safety. Walls were such an effective technology that a huge amount of warfare up until the start of the 19th century revolved around building better walls and better ways to get over walls. If you wanted to take a city, running straight at the walls with your army was the worst way to do it. The people in the city had every strategic advantage over you. They had the high ground, they had safe shelter to hide behind, they were less vulnerable to the elements and things like arrow fire, they had a concentrated position. Being in a walled city only really has one disadvantage. You're easily cut off from the outside world. The same gates that keep the enemy out keep you in. A strong city has a reliable spring or a well inside the walls, an excellent supply of extra food, a sewer that is big enough to get all of the waste out, but small enough not to let people in. But even then, if you can cut off a city from the outside world, the people inside will die of starvation if they don't surrender first. Laying siege to a city means turning your army into a city around a city. You build a city of plenty around a city of starvation. It may take months or years, but eventually your army will be well-fed, well-armed, well-rested, and the people in the city will be ready to give up. The city of plenty will always outlast the city of starvation 
as long as no other army shows up to ruin your plans. At this point in our story, the city of Samaria has been under siege by the Syrian army for some time, and the people are starving. They were desperate, and it looked as if nothing could save the city. Any help they could hope for would be too little, too late. But then something happens. It reads, now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear a great sound of chariots and horses, the sound of a great army. So they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come up against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called the gatekeepers of the city and told them, we came to the camp of the Syrians and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there, nothing but the horses and the donkeys tied to the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out, and it was told within the king's household. And the king rose in the night and said to his servants, I will tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking, when they come out of the city, we shall take them alive and get into the city. And when one of his servants said, let some of, uh, one of his servants said, let some men take five of the remaining horses, seeing those that are left here will fare like those of the whole multitude of Israel who have already perished. Let us send and see. So they took two horsemen, and the king sent them after the army of Syrians, saying, Go and see. So they went after them as far as the Jordan, and behold, all the way there was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. These lepers in this story did two incredible things. The first was heading to the camp of the enemy, where they would definitely not be welcomed warmly, both because they were the enemy and because they were lepers. Their own city didn't let them in. The second was heading back to the starving city, the one which couldn't shelter them, to tell them the good news. Open the gates, come and see. 
come and taste. The city of plenty is yours now. The Lord himself has driven away the enemy. Your salvation has come. These lepers are for us an image of the church, sick and starving people who have just discovered that the city of plenty is theirs for the taking and who show up at the gates of the city of starvation to share the good news. I think this story gives us some context for understanding what Jesus is saying to his disciples in our gospel reading today. He says, Behold, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When it comes to these verses, a lot of fuss has been made about Peter's role. Popes who claim a lineage of authority with Peter have claimed since the fifth century that this is evidence of Peter being the chief apostle, the foundation of the church. Protestants took a very strong dislike to that idea, and it goes on. But today, I'm not interested in Peter. I'm interested in the kind of community that Jesus is describing, a community on a mission. This community is founded on the rock of Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ and on the authority of the apostles, but it's also a community with a job to do. The church is a community of gate crashers. In English, a gate crasher is an uninvited guest at a party. Somebody who gets in by hovering around the front door until there's a convenient time to slip inside and join the fun. The gates in this verse aren't exactly a party, though. They're the gates of hell. Hell here, or Hades, uh, is the realm of the dead. And with the imagery that Jesus uses here, it's portrayed as a city with strong gates. What Jesus meant when he said hell is probably very different from what each of us has in mind, but there are a few things we can say reasonably. One is that he probably did, at some level, mean a literal hell, a place where dead people go. But we can also pretty, be pretty sure that he did not only mean that, because Jesus also speaks about life and death in ways which refer to the body and the spirit. Alive and dead for Jesus describe both what is happening to your body and whether you, in this moment, are experiencing the life-restoring presence of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is ahead of us. It's a future reality, but it's also here today. And the strong city of hell seems similar. Many people are living right now in some kind of strong city of hell. The last and definitely most important thing we can say about hell from this verse is that hell is not a place God sends people. It is a place God is on a mission to liberate us from. I'm going to say it again because it matters. Hell is not a place God wants people to go. It is a place he is on a mission to liberate us from. The gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Remember, the gates of a city do two things. 
They keep the enemy out, and they keep the people in. Closed gates mean a secure city, but they also mean a starving city, a city full of dead and dying. Jesus is describing his church, his heavenly kingdom, as a city of plenty up against a city of starvation, what we might in English call a hellscape. But he compels us, go up to the city, knock down the strong gates, and take it. End the siege. It's yours. The time of starvation is over. Like the lepers outside the gates of Samaria, knocking to tell those inside to open up, the church comes up against the gates of the city of death and says, the enemy has been driven away. The city of plenty is yours for the taking. Come out and see. Come out and taste. We are the gate crashers of hell. This is one of the many, many metaphors Jesus uses to describe his kingdom and the calling of his church. Like every metaphor, it can be used uncritically in ways that cause a lot of damage. It's too easy to take what Jesus is saying here and copy-paste it along whatever lines we like, dividing the world up into we who are heaven-bound and they who are hell-bound. But there is no one-to-one -one comparison between Christ's church and my church, or Christ's kingdom and my earthly kingdom. Making those comparisons is how you end up with Christian missions, which are just another form of imperialism, or the demonization of people we disagree with. Steer clear of that temptation. But caveats aside, this is still a potent way of imagining the mission of the church. We look at the world we live in and ask, what hells are people living in which they need to be called out of? And what feast do we have to offer them? Sometimes the world seems like basically a fine place, especially if you live in Norway. And it's not November. And there are things that people can fix for themselves. And with some good morals, a healthy economy, an ounce of compassion, is hell really so near? Well, to begin, the world is very often not fine at all. Many people do not need to be told that they are in hell. People are enslaved, exploited, stuck in cycles of poverty or violence displaced from their homes, abused by their neighbors, manipulated by their family. There are many people who wake up every morning in a terror they cannot escape, at least not without help. The gates that keep them in seem unbreakable. The church is here to break those unbreakable gates. Whatever happens to them after death, those who follow Jesus as Lord and live by his teaching are not content to let the freedom of heaven wait until their lives are over. We are here to bring the good news that Jesus is Lord, his kingdom is here, and ruling others by force, by money, by cruelty, by violence is a thing of the past. Besides these very literal captivities, there are also so many others. People are enslaved 
by their bodily addictions, enslaved by the habits of sin that the world has taught them will bring them happiness, enslaved by a void of felt worth and love which grows deeper with every attempt to be smart enough, pretty enough, rich enough, enslaved by walls of anxiety that make it so difficult to form meaningful relationships, enslaved by the conditional approval of those who should love them unconditionally. These gates can seem just as unbreakable as any other when you're the one living inside of them. The church is here to break those unbreakable gates too. We are here to bring the good news that Christ can cast out any demon, that Christ's way of living is a way of freedom, that Christ's love is unending and his art aches for everyone, but especially those who know they are the lowly of the world. That God's love towards us cannot be turned back by the crucifixion of his son, no less by our particular offenses or sins. And when it comes to questions of our eternal fate, the fate of our souls and of our world, the fates of those who do good and those who do evil, we have good news to offer about that as well. Hell is a strong city with a thousand gates, and we are the people crashing them. We do not come as saviors ourselves. We come as lepers, sick and hungry, who have discovered something incredible. The Lord himself has driven away the enemy. The city of plenty is ours for the taking, laid out as a feast for a hungry world. Come and see, come and taste. As we go into Holy Communion, I invite you to come and taste the first fruits of the kingdom of heaven. Christ has given us his own body and blood. In every way, he has given himself to us as a feast. He is the feast of the city of plenty. In Holy Communion, we take just a bite of this great feast. So whatever hell you may have come from, whatever hell you may be in. Come and taste the first fruits of heaven. Come with joy. Come with thanksgiving. Come praying for those who know who are living in a city of starvation. Come humble. Come hungry. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and may you know that he is gracious towards you. May the Lord turn his face towards each and every one of you into the reality of your lives, into your fears and your joys, into your days of struggle and your days of celebration that he may bring you peace. And so go in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and serve the world and serve the Lord joyfully.